electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, markets on edge, stocks trying to rebound from their worst day in more than a year. Is there more downside ahead? Are we at or near a buying opportunity? Those two key questions answered today by the Investment Committee. Joining me on this International Women's Day, Stephanie Link, Carrie Firestone, Jenny Harrington, Shannon Sakosha, Bryn Talkington. It's good to see everybody today. Let's check the markets. As Carl said, not too far from the highs of the day. We're green, uh, at least for crude right now, 127. Everything else is red, though. Major averages. We throw the 10-year note yield, 186. And boy, there's a lot of damage under the hood. Ladies, carry 47 percent of the Dow is in a bear market. Forty seven percent of the S&P is in a bear market. Seventy two percent of the Nasdaq is in a bear market. Seventy one percent of the Russell is in a bear market. Natural question is, is there more downside or are we close to a viable place to be? Yeah, well, that's the question. And of course, we can't predict the near term. But here's what we know. I mean, we're seeing the kind of capitulation in certain parts of the market that we haven't seen in a long time. We're trading at about 17 times next year's earnings. And if you look at P.E. dispersion over the last 10 years, one standard deviation away from the average would be 16 and a half. We're pretty close to 16 and a half. And I know members of this committee and my esteemed women colleagues and very nice of CNBC and you to have us all here for International Women's Day would say that this is as bad as it might get. But I would submit that 2020 in March, when we were looking at the beginning of a pandemic that could destroy economies, the educational system, society and the fabric of our life was scarier than what we're envisioning right this minute. And so we think that, yes, there are opportunities here of very solid companies that are selling at more attractive prices than they have in years, both on the growth side and the value side, the high multiple stocks and low multiple stocks. So this is a time that we would not sort of panic and sell but stay committed to what we believe in, perhaps upgrade our portfolios and add to names that we never thought we would have an opportunity to buy at the prices at which they're currently selling. Okay. Dow's going positive. S&P looks like it's knocking on the door. NASDAQ moving in that direction as well. So we'll keep our eye on that as we uh, go three minutes or so past noon in the east. I'm thinking about stocks, ladies, like Shannon, Best Buy, 28% off of its high. Amazon, 28 Microsoft, 22 Meta, 50 Alphabet's just 16 so it's performed better than a lot of those. But, right, I bring up these names. Like, how should we think about names like that that you own, Shannon, all, all of those names? Home Depot, you own that 23% off of its high. As to a point where you'd like to buy more. 
Well, I think that it's all about portfolio construction. And so we came into this uh, year uh, almost almost entirely invested, um, as is our mandate. However, I think that you bring up a couple of names, Microsoft in, 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 as an example. We have trimmed that stock multiple times over the last several years. That's the largest holding in our portfolio. Do I think it's justified that we see the declines that we see? No, of course not. But the market gives me what it can give me. I think when you look at your portfolio in terms of wanting to add, look at the quality companies in your portfolio. Strong return on equity, stable earnings growth, low leverage. Don't those three things sound like what you want to own in an environment where we have geopolitical conflict and a, a, an increasingly less accommodative Federal Reserve? Sure does to me. And so if I go down the portfolio and I look at the ability to reallocate to different names in the portfolio, we're certainly looking for potential exit points. For instance, we trimmed Accenture earlier this year. Um, we had a significant overweight. That stock has underperformed, and we reallocated the proceeds into some of our higher conviction names. But be careful. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to continue to see this pressure. The Fed hasn't moved yet. And so I do think that, you know, between now and the end of the month, there's opportunities to reallocate. But selling indiscriminately some of these high-quality names in your portfolio might lend itself to some less beneficial outcomes than if you waited a few weeks and got past a couple of these catalysts. Yeah, look at Stephanie Link, and I say, well, Steph's not running for the hills. She's not looking for the exits. In fact, she's looking for entry points into stocks that she likes. She bought Union Pacific. That's number one that we're going to talk about today. Steph, tell us why. Yeah, and I've owned this stock in the oh, By the way, thank you for having us. This is going to be great fun uh, today. Um, but I've owned Union Pacific in the past. It's, it's been a great performer over the years. Um, and when it gets a little expensive, which it did when I sold it at 28 times, I took my profits. It's now trading at 23 times. And I've all opened a small position because they are actually, if you listen to what they say, they're actually seeing fundamentals that are strong, get a, getting stronger. 5% volume growth suggests they're gaining share and they're doing a good job on the services metrics, which they've always had problems problems with their operating ratio. They're, they have a goal of 55.5 per, uh, uh, percent. So if you think about that, you're going to have good volumes and lower costs. That's operating leverage. And you know that that's what I look for when I look for, especially on the industrial side of things. Also, intermodal, they're gaining market share. They and Burlington Northern have a 43 percent share in intermodal, and that's been strong. It will get stronger in the second half of the year. And I expect the second half of the year to see a recovery in the auto segment as well. So I think this is a little little less beta than my other industrials, and I prefer that at this point, but fundamentals are strong. You bought more Apple, you bought more Meta, and you yeah. bought more J&J, &J, so it's not limited to just UNP. No. I mean, Apple has been a defensive buy for me. I started buying that the day, adding to it the day after Thanksgiving, as you know, uh, when it fell and the market fell. I just think this is a defensive play. It's not exactly cheap at 25 times earnings, but I like the ecosystem. We all know the story very well, but I do want to own it more of it into the spring when I think they're going to announce capital allocation of something like 70 to $90 billion buyback. I think they can buy back their stock 2 to 3% of the shares outstanding over the next three years, and that is a nice defensive uh, play. So, Jenny, why do you remain extremely cautious on the market? Because there's still a lot of garbage and difficult times ahead of us. We have the Fed still entering a tightening cycle. I don't know if they'll reduce their balance sheet at the same rate that they were going to three weeks ago, but they might. Interest rates are rising. Geopolitically, things are really hard. We've had a spike in commodity prices, which they may come down or they may sustain for a long time. Um, 
and and we have valuations that aren't cheap yet. They're not extreme. I would have said around 22 times valuations are extreme, so now I'm feeling a little better, but I would still say valuations are stretched. Um, this is not a great backdrop for a really terrific, exciting bull market. It's just not. And I think it's messy, and I think it's going to be hard. So I used the word when I was on last week, and I think it's the right word to use. It's treacherous out there, and it will be treacherous for a while. 2022 is going to be a very hard year where there's hard work to be done. I also think that this will be an asynchronous correction. So I don't know when you asked the question before, Scott, and you said, are we at a bottom and is it time to buy? I think, yeah, it's time to buy, but you don't need to buy broadly. But I don't know that we're at a bottom either. And I think that those things are going to move asynchronously. So there will be stocks all along that you can pick off. As you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I bought Foot Locker and 3M. Great. The market pulled back and I was able to buy each of those. But I'm not broadly just piling in and saying, hey, the whole market's down. We can add to everything in the portfolio. So this is, this is a time just to be cautious, sit back, be patient. You don't need to throw all your cash in. You can just breathe. One thing that's important, though, is in the very long term, I will always be bullish on equities. I will always believe that over the long term, the equity market will give you a positive return. Well, so if you're fully invested, you don't also need to cash out right now. You can just be patient. Bryn, somebody's buying because we're positive across the board and we're at the highs of the day now for stocks. So we've had a little bit of a rebound since we started in the last eight, nine or so minutes. Now to the question of do we have more downside ahead? Are we at a place where we can finally feel comfortable buying some stocks like Stephanie Link is and some of the others may be as well? There are some notes regarding that today. Steve Suttmeyer, Bank of America, no true capitulation yet. Hasn't seen it. He says that favors more downside. Jonathan Krinsky, whose uh, insights from a technical standpoint we like very much, says we're getting close, but we haven't had a full washout yet. Do we still need that? It's not like you get that every single time. And believe me, we've had we have had some pretty sizable downdrafts. Um, are we close? Does it feel well, like I, we're I close? Think, yeah, I, I think you actually do get that. I think we actually have had that 90 percent down downtime every time, except when we had a sell off in either 98 or 99. So I do think that technicals trump multiples right now. And what I mean by that, and what we'll, obviously if we hear from Jonathan later, but I think technical analysis to look at where the support level is for the S&P right now, I think it's around 4,000. We might be closer to 300 for the Qs, which would be representative of the NASDAQ 100. And, and I own, by the way. And so versus multiples. And when you look historically at current multiples and then project subsequent one-year returns, there's almost no correlation between that. So I'm not focused on whether the multiples are 19, 18, or 17, because it really has no predictive power over the next one year. I do think technicals, though, gives you a tradable, a tradable entry point. And it seems, because we haven't had those big sell-offs, that big down day, that we could have more to come. I do think that midterm and looking out later on this year, where I have pause is that in Europe, the probabilities of Europe going into a recession have definitely ramped up. And as the U.S. has plenty of supply of natural gas, right now in Europe, Scott, natural gas is 13 times higher than in the U.S. Food prices globally are going higher, which hits the most vulnerable of people globally, 
And so I think GDP is definitely was already going to be decelerating because China was slowing down. This adds that in there. Now come back to the U.S. We have higher food prices. That's not going away. We have higher energy prices. That's not going away. And although energy prices compared to the 80s as a percent of U.S. consumers budget isn't as high as it was, I do think that the market, the, the consumer is more, more vulnerable. And whether we have a, we'll call it a, a sentiment recession with, with consumers or an actual recession, I think that sentiment recession where people just don't feel like spending because they feel very uncomfortable. Okay. And, and then just finally, Scott, there are so many second, third, and fourth, and fifth order effects from this Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I don't know if the viewers saw, you know, nickel is tr traditionally trades at about 20,000 20, per metric ton. It closed yesterday at 50,000. Last night, nickel was at 100,000. Why is that important? That goes into lithium batteries. That goes into all sorts of green technologies. So then how does that affect Tesla, GM, Ford? And so there's so much to actually to, to discern through that I'm still very cautious because I don't think this is a traditional type of event where we cut, cut countries off from the SWIFT system, et cetera. So I would still remain cautious. All right. I just want to show you what's happening in the stock market as we're having this conversation. You could get a glimpse of it from the S&P 500 as Bryn was speaking there. And there's our, our wall shot. Um, we are accelerating uh, the gains that we did not have uh, until about seven minutes ago, six, seven minutes or so. Uh, Dow's good for 230. <laughs> now, S&P's up, NASDAQ's up. Crude, yes, of course, it's up. Uh, that seems to be the trend, uh, certainly, of late. And there's the 10-year note yield, 185. So we have bit of a rise in yields today. Uh, it is an interesting move in stocks. We'll keep our eyes there, see uh, what exactly, if, uh, if anything, has caused this reversal that we've seen in the last seven to eight minutes. There's your 10-year. Um, Steph, Brin said something that, that really caught my attention. This whole conversation about multiples having come down and what was 21 times is now 18 and a half times and trying to figure out exactly what the correct multiple on the market is. And the comment that she made about, and I wrote it down, that the multiples don't have predictive power where stocks are going to be. Of course they don't, but earnings do. And earnings expectations are coming down, right? Mm -hmm. Earnings revisions, negative earnings revisions are picking up. That seems to be where the trend is going. You cited operating margins in the top of the show as to why you like certain stocks relative to others. Those may come down too, right? Margins are going to come down. Operating leverage is going to come down. Earnings are going to come down. I mean, they have to. Isn't that an impact on stocks? Well, if they come down, if margins come down, for sure. Well, how can they not? About, but people have been talking about margins peaking for the last five years, and the companies have found ways to restructure. They've, they've found ways to cut costs. They have found ways to increase pricing. And those companies that have pricing power, which, by the way, Union Pacific does. They had 7.7% X fuel in yields last quarter. So you have to find certain companies that do have all of these characteristics. Um, look, I'm not saying that the, the volatility is, is, is over and that we can't go down. In fact, it's very possible we can go down. We're at 18.17 times for the S&P 500. The long-term average is 15 to 17 times. And I would argue, after the fourth quarter, earnings revisions actually went higher. Do they have to come down now because of Russia and Ukraine and inflation? Possibly. 
probably, but certain industries are going to get hit harder than others. And if you look at some of these reopened stocks, Scott, they have been hammered. And I went through, like Expedia, and I went through Wynn, and I went through Hilton, all which had really great earnings. They rose guidance. And I looked at, like, Russia exposure, Ukraine exposure, European exposure. It's no more than 6% of their total revenues and much less in terms of, of operating profits. So while I understand that we could see a contagion if, if Europe goes into a recession, we certainly are going to see slower growth. We were always going to see slower growth this year versus last year. But I still think there's enough momentum in the economy from all the fiscal and monetary that we did all over the last three years. And I think it's very important to me. I felt like the last couple of days, um, the markets were very emotional. People have forgotten that the last three years have been really very special. The S&P 500 was up 31.5% last year. The year before that, 18.4%. The year before that, 28.7%. That's not normal. That was very Fed-induced, of course. The long-term average is 10% total return. So if there's mean reversion happening. There's uncertainty here, for sure. That's why multiples have come down. They could go down further. But I am look looking at companies with all the characteristics that I mentioned earlier. And uh, absolutely free cash flow as well. And that's why I am buying some names, because I'm trying to take the longer term approach. So let, let me just, just tell you this. And, and certainly, look, headlines cross fast and, and furious uh, sometimes when, when, when you're on the air, as we're trying to figure a reason as to why stocks have taken the move that they have. And we'll have to do our own independent reporting and confirmation of a headline that a source of mine has sent me that says, according to AFP, that's the French news service, that Ukraine is no longer insisting on seeking NATO membership. Maybe that has something to do with it. This person apparently thinks that it does mm -hmm. for the reason you've seen a, a spike in stocks as all of us try and figure out what the end game is going to be between Russia and Ukraine. But at least for this moment, maybe it is that headline that has led to that chart on your screen, a spike up 341 points uh, for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So we'll keep our eyes uh, really peeled everywhere where headlines are moving okay. and the way that stocks are moving uh, seemingly on, on all sorts of different kinds of headlines. Um, Carrie, right? I mean, earnings are going to come down. It, the, the economy is slowing from, from where it was. And thus, earnings are going to come down. You can't command the same kind of multiple you were commanding before when earnings were raging and interest rates mm -hmm. were falling. The environment is different. Yeah, uh, Earnings are going to be different. Do we need to reset our <laughs> expectations on where stocks are going to be? Stephanie Link suggests that maybe we don't have to because the good is going to offset the so-called bad. Uh, well, l let's talk about what other effect has occurred, which is that stocks have come down a lot. So if earnings are not going to grow to the extent that they had been expected to in 2022, and if a stock is down 50 percent or 60 percent, doesn't that neutralize the effect of the lower earnings? Now, one could say, oh, those stocks that are down 50 or 60 percent, they're not earning any money. But that's not entirely true. And, you know, I run these screens all the time and sometimes we make charts, which I didn't do today. But there are 30 stocks now that are down more than 45 percent from their 20 um, uh, their 2021 high. Those stocks have P.E.s of under 30 now, where they had PEs of 60 plus before. You might say, oh, well, that's still too high. But you carry that through the entire market. And there are so many stocks that have strong earnings 
I mean, American Express, Visa, PayPal, Netflix, as examples, their growth companies, a couple in there, I would say, are value stocks. Let me ask you this. And their earnings are growing. But they're down so much, it makes it worth the price. Let me, yes. let me, let me ask you this, Carrie. Forgive me for, for interrupting you. If, if I told sure. you that in a matter of days, and let's just, let's just have the conversation for argument's sake. In a matter of days, yeah. Russia-Ukraine would be resolved. Or in a week. Or whatever the time frame is in the near term. And this is not going to drag on and have a more devastating impact, um, not only on the people, uh, obviously, but on the things that we talk about every day. Energy prices, commodities things that affect what we pay and, right. and how much we pay for it. If I told you that that issue was off the table, you still have to deal with the Fed. Would you feel comfortable buying stocks if I told you that that main issue is off the table? Absolutely. So you'd have the travel stocks up 20 to 30 percent and you'd have oil prices down 15 plus percent is what is what I think would happen if you said there was a resolution to the Ukraine-Russia conflict. What, regardless of what the Fed is doing, we know, he told us already, 25 basis Well, because I'm looking at booking holdings, month. for example. It's funny you mentioned travel stocks, which you own, right? This is squarely to you. Uh, it's down 32 percent exactly. from its 52-week high. Correct. It starts to get interesting yeah, if you can remove one of these things off the table. Yeah, I think it's a strong buy right here. That's what we would think, yes. How about the rest of you ladies, And that's going to be across the board with travel. Bryn, what, what do you think? I mean, look at the spike you see in a, in a stock like Booking Holdings um, for the very reasons that we're having this conversation. And I venture to guess if we throw up a board of other travel-related names, some of the stocks that have been most dramatically impacted by the conflict in Ukraine, that they're going to be showing a similar thing. And guys, let's try and do that while we have the conversation. But Bryn, how do you see that? So, so if we could pretend the Russia-Ukraine crisis didn't exist, that would be great. It'd be great for the Ukrainian people and, and everybody else. But let's just say it didn't happen and we were just worried about the Fed. I've always had the contention that I don't think the Feds, they may have the willingness to raise rates, but they don't have the ability to raise rates, nearly what was projected. And here's a good stat, is that all U.S. debt together, not just the Fed balance sheet, which is like $9 trillion, but all U.S. debt is around 30 trillion. The, the debt that we have on our balance sheet from the fiscal side, the average maturity of US treasuries is five to six years, and then that whole portfolio has to roll over. So if you take a 1% increase across the yield curve on that 30 trillion in debt, that's an extra $300 billion in interest expense. And so we need to keep rates lower for longer. And so I just don't think we have this ability for the Fed funds rate to get to a 3% or a 2% handle right now and then have a steeper yield curve because of how indebted we are. So that being said, I definitely think companies like Hilton, Bookings, all of those travel stocks wouldn't have sold off. And that you could have a narrative that once GDP is decelerating, the Fed has to be data dependent and they actually are slower. They take, they take slower rates and take longer to do it. These, these are so, really incredible moves that we're seeing. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, if you look at American Airlines, for example, up 9%, Delta, Southwest, JetBlue, uh, you could throw up some hotel names. Uh, for certain, you're going to see a similar moves there. As, as again, that, that headline is being widely passed around now as a principal reason for the move you're seeing in not only these individual names, 
but the broader indices that according to AFP, Agence France Presse, that Ukraine says it's no longer insisting on NATO membership. We're trying to do our own confirmation, obviously, of, of that report, but it appears to be having a dramatic impact on the performance of the stock market. 1223 in the east, you have the Dow Jones Industrial Average up better than 300 points. Again, we were negative some 23 minutes ago when we came on the air, and you're seeing a dramatic reaction in stocks like Delta Airlines up 7%. There's JetBlue up nearly 7% as well. And Jenny, you know, Kerry said it, if you can get this issue at least in the back burner somewhat, you're back to what we know. We're back to what we know. The Fed is going to raise interest rates. Well, we we know that the Fed, (laughs) we know what the Fed is going to do. This removes uh, a tremendous amount of unknown in the market. Maybe then we can figure where we think energy prices are going to go, and that is lower. We can at least figure that the conflict is going to be less than what it is today. And then we have to just deal with the fact that the Fed is back front and center and not this issue, which is dominating every headline every minute. So it's dominating every every headline, but we're not back to where we know. So first, a a fun little fact, which is um, as of as of yesterday, the market was actually only down a half a percent between February 24th when the conflict started or maybe the evening of February 23rd and yesterday. And so what that says to me is the market's been trying to figure this out all along. But what I think is, let's say we have some miracle cure today and the fighting just stops in Russia, Ukraine. We are still in a very messy situation where the 11th largest economy in the world is totally offline. And we have Ukraine that supplies eight and a half percent of world grain that's got just bombed out and their infrastructure is terrible. And we don't know how it's going to work with, you know, with with Russia oil coming back on, if it ever does, with banking systems coming back on, like all the flows of funds and all the flows of energy and grains are just completely screwed up. And if we have a beautiful miracle stop to the fighting, and that would be the most wonderful thing in the human toll ends right now, even if that happens, we still have an extremely messy situation. And I don't really see how Europe may not enter recession because everything is messed up there and supply chains are screwed up. And we just don't know what it's going to look like because we've never been through this. So I think when Bryn talks about her first, second, third, fourth, fifth derivatives, we don't know how that plays out. So this might be a nice breath of relief. It might be emotionally soothing to us, but I'm not sure that it actually improves things. One thing, we own JetBlue, so that's our version of booking. Yeah, that would be great, and people would feel better about traveling domestically. So there you've got a domestic air, uh, mostly domestic-focused airline. So that should get a sigh of relief. But even when I'm looking at that up 6% today, well, guess what? It was down 6% yesterday. So I'm net flat on two days. So I don't make too much of this right okay. now. I am hopeful right. from a humanitarian perspective. Okay. We, um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, Stephanie Link sold a big-name stock that just got upgraded today. We'll talk about that conflict, the conflicting message there, maybe. Uh, we're going to talk energy, too. Energy sector's up 40% this year. Crude oil surging as well. President in the last hour announcing a ban on Russian energy imports. We'll talk about that. Plus, Jim Labenthal, he told you last Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich 
is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Week that he was looking to buy stocks in the market. He put his money where his mouth is today. He's going to join us to tell you what name he has added. We're back. Two minutes. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden tightening sanctions on Russia with a ban on all Russian oil imports. President Biden says that the U.S. will not help subsidize Putin's war in Ukraine. Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. Since Putin began his military buildup on Ukrainian borders, just since then, the price of the gas at the pump in America went up 75 cents. And with this action, it's going to go up further. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. And on the news tonight, which other nations are stopping Russian petroleum imports and how the new ban will hurt Russia and the U.S.? That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Florida Senate, meantime, has passed a bill forbidding instruction on sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. The so-called Don't Say Gay bill now goes to Governor DeSantis, who is expected to sign it into law. And saying in Florida, former Proud Boys leader Enrique Torrio has been arrested. He's been indicted on a conspiracy charge in connection with the January 6th attack on Capitol Hill. He denies any wrongdoing and says he was not at the Capitol that day. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, let's check on oil now. The U.S. banning Russia energy imports just within the last hour. You heard the president make that announcement. Joining us now on the phone, there's crude oil. It's down, uh, excuse me, it's up 3 percent, uh, 122 of course, it hit 130 yesterday, uh, and maybe that was stuck in my, in my head there. Pete Najarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. He joins us now because he's making some energy moves that we wanted you to know about. Pete, thank you for, for calling in. You added Exxon calls, and you're buying Transocean calls. Can you tell me about them? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, Scott. I was just trimming yesterday a lot of this different energy exposure that we had just because the move has been so violent to the upside. But um, I couldn't help myself today as I saw more options coming back in. ExxonMobil was one of those that we were, they were buying this week's 90 calls and this week's 89 calls. They bought 10,000 of the 90s, 4,000 of the 89 calls. So that definitely grabbed my attention. Now, that was before we had this little bit of a pullback that we are seeing now. But we all know how quickly things can move in the markets that we're in right now. I mean, these velocity moves are just absolutely unbelievable intraday. Transocean was another one. By the way, we had 11 energy hits on the unusual options activity today in the first 90 minutes of trade, just to give you a little perspective of how active this sector has been. But in Transocean, we also had buyers. They went all the way out to January, Scott, which is something we haven't been seeing. We have had some April calls bought today, as well as these January calls. So that's going out multiple months. That's going out further into the future than we normally would see. But that was the January 10 calls. And then in the global clean energy ETF, that continues to move to the upside. ICLN, don't talk about this one a lot. Don't see a lot of activity until yesterday we had a buyer of 25,000 of the June 25 calls. Today we've got a buyer of 4,000 of the December 25 calls. So seeing a lot of activity in there as well, as well as some of those that are in the solar space, but they're smaller names. I can't bring them up. I'm not going to bring them up. I got but you. This ETF is uh, 
uh, is very indicative of what we're seeing across that space. Pete, our our conversation uh, is probably a little bit different than it would have been 10 minutes ago (laughs) in that this trade, more than any other, you could make an argument, is most susceptible to headline risk. That Mm -hmm. being the energy trade, just given how these stocks have have run so much. So when you're playing it on such a short term basis, you even assume more risk. In those That's kind cool. of headlines, which cause a chart like the one you're seeing, not only in crude, but as you talked about Exxon and, and Rig, mm-hmm. uh, similar movements. They all look the same. Yeah, that's why right now I think, and I've talked to, with you about this uh, just last week, Scott, when I was on with you, but I said this is an unbelievable trading market. And I mean that um, because investing is very difficult right now. We've had a lot of people are calling bottoms, and yet we've gone down yesterday another 800 points. We added to it Friday. But, you know, I, I think as far as the options world, yes, right away, all of a sudden, these are right in your face. You, you're, you're wrong, and the stock moves down a little bit. We all know that by the end of the day, we have no idea, but we might see a little bit of a rebound back with this price of crude that actually would start to lift some of these names once again. But, you know, that, that's the markets that we're in right now. That's the volatility that we're dealing with right now, the intraday volatility that's just been extraordinary. It continues. But the energy space, and I, I always want to qualify this too, Scott, and I'm seeing that crude's going back up a little bit again now. I see it. I'm showing it up back towards close, close to 124. But as I'm watching this, by the end of the day, we could be almost anywhere. We could be at 120. We could be at 130. Uh, that, that's the kind of market that we're in right now, which does create a bit of a trading market for sure, but very, very difficult for the longer-term investor because you're seeing all of this right in front of you, and, and it's something that does, I think, affect your psyche as you're looking at this from that perspective. Well, Bryn, thank you, Pete, uh, very much. We'll see you back on the desk soon. I'm going to move. I want to talk to Bryn. Um, you may be most exposed in the energy patch among the investment committee. Same sort of question line to you of at some point these stocks are going to top out, or are they not? And it's at one point of what looked attractive may look like it's run its course. So last summer, um, we wrote a piece called Pixie Dust and Fairy Tales, which talked about the transition from fossil fuels to clean energy was going to take much longer than was expected, because never in the history of civilization have you gone from a more efficient energy source to a less efficient? Fossil fuels are really efficient because they're easy. Solar and wind are intermittent. And so that was just gonna take a lot longer. And so I was, as Pete was talking, I, I looked. It's inter- interesting. If I go back to October of 2018, uh, RIG, which he was talking about, was at 13. It's at $4.80. Um, Viper Energy, which I've been talking about for a couple years, in October of 2018 was at $36, it's at 30. Diamondback, which is a great shale player, which actually has an ownership in Viper, was at 128, it's at 125. And Energy Transfer was at 13 in October of 28, and it's at 10. And so I think when you look at a stock that doubles and doubles, but off such a low base, you really have to take a stand back. And so why Chevron and Exxon, or Chevron specifically, is definitely trading at a five-year high, There is no resolution to this, Scott, that makes energy prices lower. Because if we just heard Biden speaking, he didn't even remote, he didn't even say, we are gonna work with our partners in the US. He's still blaming the American energy producers for overcharging and like they're charging at spot. And so I just think until the White House has a conversation, an honest conversation with the US energy producers, 
oil will stay high. And from what I hear, those conversations haven't even started. Well, so as an investment, you could, I, I said it on my, my trade last time, I own XOP, you could sell calls against it, right? So then if it comes down, you at least get some call premium. You, you, but I definitely think these prices are here to stay. You raise good points. Oil can stay high, doesn't necessarily have to be $130 plus high, different levels of high relative to what we've been used to over the last few years. Stephanie Link, I want to get to your move uh, because there is a bit of conflict here. Um, you sold Caterpillar, which gets upgraded today at Jeffries. The price target goes to 260 from 215, and they say, quote, the turmoil in Eastern Europe fundamentally reshapes global commodity markets. I don't even need to read any further. Doesn't that make now the exact wrong time to sell cat? Well, higher commodity prices will certainly help them, and they are an, uh, they are an inflation hedge. But they also have <clears throat> had a lot of problems with higher costs. In fact, last quarter was completely disappointing in the margin. So you asked me about margins uh, last segment. Well, these guys have had a really tough time with the higher costs. They can't get it passed through. They can't raise prices fast enough. So while they will benefit, certainly, I think there are other ways you can play it. It's not expensive at 17 times. I like the management. You get a two, three yield. That's fine. But I think I put the t I sold it mm -hmm. and put the money into Freeport because it's trading at 14 times earnings. Their free cash flow generation is twice of what that is of CAT. And they are actually lowering debt. They just instituted dividend. So it's not like I sold out completely of the commodity complex. Freeport is an inflation hedge, too. And I just prefer the copper, uh, the, the copper end markets. And it's more simple, if you will. And by the way, they're also doing a better job executing. They were just such poor executors over the years. And by the way, back on the energy call, um, call in the comments, I actually sold some Diamondback yesterday because I think that some of these stocks have really had such a long, a long run. And I think it's prudent to take profits along the way. Bryn, you want to re rebut that at all? In, in no, I think Stephanie's crushed it, though, and, and I think that's asset allocation. She's doing portfolio management, and so I think that when you trim these positions, you're just being smart about it, right? And so it's not like you have to be all in or all out. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rebut that at all. I think she did a smart, you know, take some profits and then let some profits rise. She didn't say she sold the position. She sold she trimmed it. All right. I didn't think you were going to take the bait. Nice job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shannon. You bought more Flex Shares Global Upstream Natural Resources, the GUNR. Yeah, so I think, you know, similar to what uh, Steph was just saying, and, and I commend her for, for uh, buying Freeport, because as you know, I own that in our all portfolio. All right, all right, um, all right. I, I think... GUNR, we got the point. <laughs> Quinn made the point. No. Uh, GUNR. So this is a this is 30-30-30, agriculture, metals, energy. And so while I am a bit hesitant to add a, a, a number of energy companies specifically into the portfolio, this ETF holds about 120 different companies. It's well diversified both geographically as well as across those three areas. And I think that when you're thinking about inflation and potentially benefiting from positive correlation with inflation, and you know, a, a, an ETF is a great way to add that exposure without disrupting your core long-term equity holdings. And so adding this, you know, as part of a real assets allocation, which has certainly benefited portfolios over the last couple of years, and we think will continue to do so because even absent this conflict, Scott, we're going to be in a higher inflationary environment over the next two years than we were in 2018 and 2019. And so um, really like the way that this uh, portfolio is made up because it offers some international exposure as well, which, as you know, um, we're very positive on. Okay. 
Let's take a quick break. Uh, before that, though, let me remind you, uh, tomorrow on the Halftime Report, don't miss Mark Fisher. Uh, he's the famed commodity trader, the CEO of MBF Clearing. Get his take on oil, natural gas, so many other things as well. And tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, don't miss a CNBC special report, Oil Shock, with Brian Sullivan. He'll have exclusive interviews with the CEOs of Occidental Petroleum, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Williams. So you don't want to miss The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. It's that tonight at 6. Coming up here next, Farmer Jim, Jim Labenthal with the stock he just bought, as promised, back after this. All right, welcome back. There he is, Farmer Jim. You said you'd be buying. You certainly didn't lie. NVIDIA. You bought that one. NVIDIA. Yeah, so now now maybe I get to sit with the cool kids at lunch. <laughs> um, but look, NVIDIA, <laughs> NVIDIA is off almost 40% from the high back in November. And what that means is the multiple has come down. The multiple is almost in half looking on a forward basis at 36 times. They have 20 quarters of beating the estimates, so I don't think that's going to stop, not with the demand in their end markets, whether it's AI, cloud computing, gaming. Uh, so I think that forward multiple might turn out closer to be 30. Peg ratio of 1.5 tells me I'm not paying too much to pay 30 times, so I'm pretty comfortable getting into this name now. I'll be adding to it over time. Hey, Scott, can I just take a quick second to compliment the ladies, uh, every single one of whom, when I'm on with them, they make me a better investor in their own way. They also make me happy to be on with them. All right, Jim. You, yeah. you, uh, yes, you can have that time to <laughs> do what you. you just did. To you, you That's why he's the best. You've made, you've made their day. Let me ask you this, Jim, before I let you run, because right. I'm, I'm kind of pressed for time. Uh, you feel pretty good? about adding to other names that you've been looking at in, in this environment now? 
I feel tremendously uncomfortable, Scott, which makes me feel that it's the right thing to do. And I'm not being willy-nilly. I'm not being capricious. If it's easy, everybody would be doing it. But I do think that where stocks are now on a valuation basis, I heard you talking earlier, makes it the time to buy. The headlines can go either way. You're seeing it right now. You're seeing it in this market right now. I want to be positioned for when things get good. If that's a week, a month, three months, I want to be positioned for when things get good. Okay. I appreciate it. Uh, as I said, I got I to gotta bounce. I'm, I'm busy. Got some stuff I still have to get to, but I appreciate it, Jimmy. We'll, we'll talk more about it in the days ahead. Uh, when we come back, we'll share some news regarding uh, McDonald's and Russia, uh, which has just crossed the tape. We're back. The Dow's up 420, 420. S&P's good for one and a quarter percent. NASDAQ bouncing by 2%. We're back after this. Welcome back. Breaking news. Uh, we'll show you shares of McDonald's. I mentioned the company uh, is out with news. You see it at the bottom of your screen and the company uh, sending a, a message to its employees and franchise, franchisees today from the CEO. McDonald's will temporarily close all restaurants, pause all operations uh, in Russia. There's quite a bit of conversation uh, regarding the number of companies that have done so and waiting for McDonald's uh, to make such an announcement if, in fact, they would do so. And now they have. There is McDonald's. Those shares are up about one and two thirds percent on the day. Steph, um, look, I know you own the stock. I don't necessarily need your opinion on on this decision. Uh, It is for obvious reasons. uh, But nonetheless, you are a shareholder in the company that has made this decision, joining many other American companies in doing so. Yeah, and I mean, it's not, it's not a surprise, as you mentioned. I'm glad that they're doing it. About Ukraine and Russia is about 5% of their total revenues. But importantly, they're all company-owned, or just about all company-owned. So they can do this very, very quickly. And, and as I've said, they should be doing this. The stock has really taken it on the chin, Scott, uh, down 15% year-to-date. Uh, it's now trading about 22 times earnings, which is down from about 26 times. And uh, it, it yields about 2.4%. I own this because it's kind of like a consumer staple, but it hasn't acted like a consumer staple, right? But if, if, if they they only have 5% of their exposure in these two countries. I feel better that they're getting out of this and, and putting it past them for, for the time being. Okay. Uh, 850 restaurants in Russia temporarily closed by McDonald's, the company. Just saying that, and there's a look at the stock. We're back with final trades right after this. One more reminder tomorrow on the half don't miss MBF Clearing CEO Mark Fisher on all things energy. Find out where he's placing his biggest bets these days. We also want to highlight some great op-ed pieces that our investment committee members today have written to celebrate International Women's Day. They share their experiences, perspectives and advice for women working on Wall Street and in finance. You can find them on CNBC.com slash halftime. Ladies, this has been fun. I hope you guys have had fun. Happy International Women's Day to all of you. It's been lovely to have you guys. Bryn, why don't you start us off with final trades? Perfect. So much has happened in the last 10 days. Maybe it was good to weaponize our financial system. Maybe it wasn't. Um, Grayscale Bitcoin, it's trading at a 30% discount to Bitcoin. If it wasn't a good idea to weaponize that system, uh, GBTC could be be a good way to play it. All right, Shan. Air Products, uh, this stock is down a lot this year. Mm -hmm. It's essentially an uh, oligopoly. um, And we're looking for continued uh, industrial gas usage, particularly towards cleaner fuels. Okay, Jenny, quick. Kinder Morgan, a U.S.-centric way to hide out and collect a 5.5% dividend yield. Carrie? PayPal, 
Stocks down, its market's still growing very fast. All right, and quick as well, the Linkster. Facebook, Meta, eight times EBITDA. All right, adding more, as you said you were at the beginning of the show. Uh, decidedly different market picture this hour than it was when we started. There it is. Dow's good for 461. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.